Matthew chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 8. Let's read together. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And then we turn right to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, two verses there, beginning at verse 23. Let's read. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Lord, I ask once again that you open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I pray, O oh Lord, that uh, you will touch me physically so that, uh, so that the voice is strong and clear to be able to proclaim your word. I uh, lift up other life-giving churches I pray blessing upon them and I pray especially today for our loved ones not walking in right relationship with you and I pray particularly for those sons and daughters who have walked away from the faith I pray that you will draw them back to you do not let one of them be lost I pray I ask these things in the only name that matters the marvelous name of Jesus Amen. You may be seated. Every time I come to this pulpit, I'm aware that I stand before a diverse group of people who have faced a set of circumstances that are unique and as varied as the number of people present. It's entirely possible that some of you could testify that last week was truly wonderful. It seemed like blessings were flowing without restraint. Maybe you got a raise or a promotion, or maybe you received an unexpected blessing. Maybe you heard some good news that you've been waiting on for a long time. There are all kinds of possibilities that could have happened to make last week truly memorable. And for some of you, maybe it hasn't been spectacular, but this past week has been pretty good. No major problems, nothing tragic happened, no breakdowns, nothing really bad, nothing spectacularly good. It's just been a week. But then I suspect I'm also talking to some people who would rather not think about last week at all. Last week was horrible. Last week got you in so much trouble you don't think you'll ever get out. For some of you, it wasn't just last week, but the week before that and the week before that as well. Some of you feel like you've been living in a barren, broken place for as long as you can remember. Some of you have been in that state for so long, you don't see any way out. 
And it is especially to those who are, who are in a desperate place that this message is going to speak the loudest today. If you don't see any way out of your present condition, I want to tell you something right on the front end of this message. And at first hearing, when I tell you this, it may sound somewhat flippant. But if you'll hang with me, I assure you this message can be the catalyst for a complete change in your life. Now hear this. If you don't see any way out, it could be because you're looking in the wrong direction. I, I almost feel like I need to drop the mic right there, you know. <laughs> if you don't see any way out, it could be you're looking in the wrong direction. The verses that form the text for the message today are part of a passage that tells the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Just a few verses earlier from where we picked up the story, Jesus had come to the Jordan River, heard the preaching of John the baptizer, and was baptized. At that baptism, you remember, the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the Bible says the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended upon him. Now, so far, Jesus is having a really good day, wouldn't you say? Until the next verse that says, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it identifies three categories into which all temptation falls. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Watch this. For all that is in the world, here they are, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those are the three categories into which all temptation falls. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. This was the appeal the tempter made to Jesus in the wilderness. First, you remember, he tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread. That's the lust of the flesh, appealing to the fleshly appetite. Then he tempted him to cast himself down from the pinnacle of the temple so everyone could be amazed at how God would take care of him. That's the boastful pride of life. And finally, he tempted him by showing him all the kingdoms of the world that he would give him to rule the lust of the eyes. And here we see that temptation is the crop that springs from the seeds of doubt. Remember how, the, how he tempted Jesus. Everyone was, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. Temptation is the crop that springs from the seeds of doubt. It was true in the garden with the first temptation when the spirit sowed the seeds with a question to Eve. You remember in the garden, the, the, the tempter comes, the serpent comes and says to Eve, has God said... Sowing seeds of doubt. It's illustrated here when the tempter comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God. 
When the tempter scattered his seeds of doubt, Jesus was able to ignore it and resist the temptation because he had already received divine assurance. See, he had heard the voice of his father claiming him as his son. He had seen and felt the Holy Spirit on his life. The word of God had been spoken and defined his identity. And with his identity secured, the word of God was then all he needed to dismiss the doubts and turn aside the temptations of the evil one. And this is the truth the Lord wants you to know today. When the enemy of your soul tries to sow seeds of doubt that lead to temptation in your life, your best defense is to know who you are in Jesus. The way you're going to know that is to know what God says about you in his word. See, in spite of what the world says, in spite of what the enemy says, in spite of how you feel or how you may think, it is the word of God that has the definitive word about your life. It is the truth of God's word that gives divine assurance of your position as a child of the king. When temptation arises, and how many of you know it will arise? When temptation arises, all you really need is the word of God to pull back the curtain and reveal the lie for what it is. When you stand upon the word of God, it will strengthen and sustain you. It will get you through even the darkest hour of temptation and bring you out on the winning side. The first two temptations of Jesus begin with seeds of doubt. Then in the third temptation, all the kingdoms of the world with their splendor and power were paraded before the eyes of the master. The evil one promised, all these things I will give you, watch this, if you fall down and worship me. Now think about it. Jesus knew he was destined to rule. His destiny was Revelation 1.5, to be the ruler of the kings of the earth. His destiny was Revelation 2.27, to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. His destiny was Revelation 17.14, to be king of kings and lord of lords. At the same time, Jesus also knew that before there could be the triumph of a glorious return, there would first be the tragedy of an ignominious death. He knew that before there could be the ascension into paradise, there must first be the agony in the garden. He knew that before there could be a crown of glory, there must first be the cross of Calvary. But now, here is the tempter offering an easier way, a shortcut. Jesus, look, look, buddy, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to endure the humiliation and the rejection and the suffering. There's an easier way to fulfill your destiny. Bow before me, and you can have it all. It's an easier path, and you'll accomplish the same thing. The response Jesus gives is the key that not only transforms his surroundings, but this is the same key that will transform your circumstance today. Verse 8, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It hinges on the term worship. Satan said, I'll give you all of this if you'll just fall down and worship me. Jesus says, you shall worship only the Lord. 
later on, after Jesus begins his ministry. Uh, by the way, this is all foundation stuff. I haven't started preaching yet. I'll, I'll get to the sermon in a moment, right? I, you just need this to, to catch you up. Later on, after Jesus begins his ministry, he will tell the Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 23, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He will say then in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And when most people hear that word truth, they think of something which is accurate, something that is right, something that is factual. But a better and more literal definition of this word is the idea of something that is not concealed, something that is unhidden. It's not just facts, it's, it's pulling the veil, pulling the curtain off to reveal something unhidden. What that means is that when the light of God's word shines, it unhides, it reveals, and that's when freedom comes. Now, what I want to do for the balance of this message is very quickly give you some truths from God's word that are going to be bondage-breaking, yoke-destroying, chain-unlocking, captive-delivering truths for someone today. How's that sound? Through the truth of God's word, I want, you, I want to get you looking in a different direction so you can begin to see a new possibility. I want to help you find a new reality. I want to help you understand that the way it's always been doesn't have to be the way it's always going to be. When Jesus entered the wilderness, he did so with a clear understanding of his identity. The Father had spoken. The Holy Spirit had confirmed. There was absolutely no doubt in his mind about who he was. This leads me to tell you that the first truth you need to establish in your heart today is the uniqueness of your person. The uniqueness of your person. Genesis 1.27 talks about this when it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Psalm 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 8 says, you are made a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and majesty. See, when God made all of creation, he did so with the spoken word. But when he made man, the Bible says he formed and shaped him from the dust of the earth. You know what that means? That means you have the fingerprints of God all over you. You are unique in all of creation, there is only one you. So stop trying to be like everybody else. Just be the you that God has made you to be. Be the best you you can possibly be. Y'all okay with that? The uniqueness of your person. You need to know. You are, you are, you are so unique. So quit trying to conform to what everybody else thinks and what everybody else does. Just go ahead and be you. But be the you that God has created you to be. That, that right there would just transform somebody's life. It will just change your whole approach to life and living. 
Not only do you need to see the uniqueness of your person, but then you need to see the specialness of your position. See, not only are you made in the image of God, but you are also created for relationship with God. This truth is woven throughout the tapestry of the Bible. Relationship with God. In Genesis, you remember, God walks with man in the garden in the cool of the day. In Exodus, God dwells in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle that was in the midst of the encampment of Israel. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelled. Literally, that Word is tabernacled among us. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is walking in the midst of the golden lampstands, which represent the church. In the last part of the book of the Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3, there's a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. From Genesis to Revelation, I want to say from index to maps, God wants a revelation and wants a relationship. That's the original design of the creator. You were made in the divine image. That's the uniqueness of your person. And you were created for relationship with the Almighty. That's the specialness of your position. He's got you in the place that he wants you. He's, see, nothing else in all of creation can take your place in a relationship with the creator. The next truth you need to know is the devastation of the penalty. You were made for relationship, but sin has broken the relationship and has marred the divine image. You were, you were made so, so grand, and sin has marred your image. In Genesis chapter 3, the temptation came to the same three areas that came against Jesus in the wilderness. Verse 6 of that chapter says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food, which is the lust of the flesh. The tree was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise, the boastful pride of life. When Adam and Eve ate in disobedience to the expressed will of God, sin was introduced into the human equation. Now let me, just, let me, let me pause right there to talk to you for a second about that we have this idea that sin is is doing all these bad things come on come on somebody you know I broke this rule I didn't keep that I you know I, I did all these bad things I sinned all right there is an element to that but let me tell you what sin is at its root and at its core at its core Sin is you embracing an identity other than the identity that God has given to you. you see, see, do you remember the, oh, help me Jesus. This thing's, I'm sorry, this thing's growing right, right in front of your eyes. It's growing and I'm trying to, trying to scale it down because, you know. Do you remember the, the temptation that came to Eve? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a temptation to eat fruit. It was a temptation to be God. Remember what the tempter said? He said, because he knows that in the day you eat of this, you will be like God. And it's like, oh, wait, I won't have to have God out here. I could just be God myself. 
The sin is embracing an identity other than the identity that God has given you. I'm I'm about to mess with somebody. I started to say I'm sorry, but I'm really not. So here we go. You know, I... When you get a certain age, you just lose most of your filter. So here, you know, here it is. <clears throat> I, this, is the, this, is the, this is the issue I have with, um, with a certain organization that when you go to their group meetings, you stand and introduce yourself and you identify yourself as someone who is still enslaved and in bondage to that. My name is, and I am, and you talk about this bondage, this addiction that you're trying to break, and that's why you're going to these group meetings. I have a problem with that. Because the moment I do that, what am I doing? I am taking on that identity. I am, a, I am embracing that identity. This is who I am. No, that is not who I am. I have done that, but who I am is a blood-bought Redeemed child of the Most High God. Ah, help me, Jesus. That's who I am. I am not what my behavior says I am. I am who God says I am. And I am what I choose to embrace. Why do we want to identify ourselves by certain lifestyle choices? No, that's not who I am. And that's where the behavior comes in. The moment I embrace that identity, that's sin. But the moment I embrace my identity as a child of God, then my behavior starts to conform to my identity. And in those times when my behavior doesn't conform, it immediately convicts me and I go back to the cross and I go back to the Word and I find out the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. When Adam and Eve ate in disobedience to the express will of God, sin was introduced into the human equation. And notice the first thing they did, they tried to hide from the divine presence and they tried to cover themselves so they would be hidden from God and from each other. So now, instead of perfection, there is imperfection. Instead of communication, there is silence. Instead of togetherness, there is distance. Instead of walking with God, they are hiding from God. Instead of openness, they are, there is an attempt to cover up. Temptation involves the twisting of reality. And the evil one is a master at twisting reality to cause you to try to find a swift, painless easy route to nullifying the penalty and getting back to the image that has been lost. He distorts reality and tells you there's another path you can follow in order to achieve holy purposes. And when you listen to the lies of the deceiver, you suffer. You suffer from brokenness and pain and heartache and disappointment. When you listen to his lies, you fall into traps of addiction. 
When you listen to his lies, you try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in all the wrong places. When you listen to his lies, you look, su- you look for security in that which proves to be unstable. Here's a great truth. Somebody needs to, read th- needs to write this down. What you focus on and what you feed, that's what will grow. Some of y'all could give witness to that this morning. What you feed is what will grow. So what that means is when you focus on your problems, your problems will grow. Focus on your hurt, your hurt will grow. Focus on your fear, your fear will grow. Focus on your weakness, your weakness will grow. Focus on your loneliness, your loneliness will grow. Focus on your pain, your pain will grow. The distorted image you have of who you are and of your ultimate purpose and your insistence on focusing on those things that have been damaged causes you to worship at the altar of that which feels good and is convenient. That brings me to tell you about some good news. I've I've given you a whole bunch of bad stuff this morning. Can I just give you some good news? Here's a good, it's a transformational principle. A transformational principle. Whatever commands your highest devotion is your God. See, there's a reason God wants the focus of your worship to be Him. There's a reason He says in Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 and 14... You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. There's a reason, he says in Psalm 81 and 9, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. There's a reason, he says in Psalm 99 and 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. The reason God insists on being the focus of your worship isn't because he has a fragile ego that needs to be constantly told how wonderful he is. It isn't because he's worried about losing his power or his position or his influence if he doesn't get enough accolades. See, your lack of worship isn't going to diminish him in any way. Your continued worship won't make him any greater than he already is. The reason he insists that he be the focus of your worship is for your benefit. It's because he knows that you become like what you worship. That word worship, we talk about it being from an old English word that worth-ship. Worth-ship. In worship you declare the worth of that which you worship, the value. But worship isn't just declaring value. There's, it's also, the, the old English is, is, is a little strange to our ears, and it's not only worth ship, but it's worth shape. Worth shape. In worship... The one that is worshiping is formed and shaped into the image of what is worshipped. 
Watch this. Sin has marred the image of the divine in you. But as you worship the Lord, you are formed. You are transformed back into the original image of the one who created you. That's why the instructions are given to come before the Lord in worship. He isn't concerned about himself. He's concerned about you. He wants to be the focus of your worship because he is the only one who is capable of restoring you to the original design specifications of the manufacturer. Listen, listen. The release of your worship to God is the key to the release of hell's hold on your life. When you devote yourself to this world and the things of this world, when that becomes the object of your worship, you'll get what the world can give you. When you devote yourself to the pursuit of the lies of the evil one, when you worship at the shrine of deceit, you'll get what the evil one can give you. When you worship at the altar of self, where you become the center of what's most important. When you devote yourself to the pursuit of personal satisfaction and pleasure, you'll get what the self can give you. But when you bow before Almighty God, when you make Him the focus of your worship, when He is first in your life, when you refuse to let anything come before Him, then you found the key that will release hell's hold on your life because that's when you'll get what only God can give. Did you notice it was when the Lord Jesus proclaimed the truth of worshiping and serving only God, that's when the devil left him. That's when the angels who were holding their breath to see the path he would follow came and ministered to him. I'm telling you that your worship will loose you from the onslaught of hell. Your worship will deliver you from the clutches of the evil one. Your worship will release the angelic messengers to minister to you. (laughs) Your unhiding, open, mask-removed worship will bring you face-to-face with the one in whose image you are created, and it will transform all the broken pieces into a life that rises to the praise of his glory. It is sin and the brokenness that comes as a result of it that causes you to hide. It causes you to cover up. That's one of the reasons why when when we start embracing other identities, one of the first things we want to do is we, we, we start dropping out of church. We start dropping out of, of fellowship with the with the saints of God. Because we're hiding. hiding but the Lord comes to redeem and to restore all the places that have been marred and broken when you aren't reflecting the nature and the character and the glory of God you're a distortion of the image in which you've been created so I want to tell you today he didn't design you to be hurting He didn't design you to be broken. He didn't design you to be unclean. He didn't design you to be fragmented. He designed you to be righteous. He designed you to be holy. He designed you to be fulfilled. He designed you to be whole. And that's the transformation that takes place when you come in open worship before him. That's the truth part of worship. 
When Jesus told the woman at the well, those who worship the Father must worship in spirit and in truth, in unhiding. Do you remember what Jesus did to that Samaritan woman? When she starts trying to deflect it, he says, go call your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, what does he do? He unhides. He says, you're right. You've had five, and the guy you're shacking up with now, you're not married to. It's right there in the original, shacking up. Okay, you, you look it up. I made that up. What's he doing? Unhiding. Truth. That's how you get set free. And that's how you worship. Do, do you remember the story of Moses going into the presence of God? The Bible says when he came back among the people, he had to put a veil over his face because he was glowing so brightly with the reflected and absorbed glory of the Lord, it was too difficult for the people to look at him. Now watch this. Initially, that veil was to hide the brightness of the glory. But after a while of not being in the Lord's presence, the glory began to fade. And the Bible says that... Moses kept wearing the veil. Now he's not wearing it to hide the brightness of the glory, but to hide the absence of the glory. I want to tell you, that's a condition that's all too common today. Put on a false face. You hide behind a veil so nobody can see the true you. You don't let anybody see your pain or your struggle or your dysfunction or your disappointment or your heartache. And you even try to hide it from the Lord. But in true worship, all of that gets pulled aside. In true worship, when the Lord is the focus of your worship, that gets stripped away. You worship in truth, revealing the true you. When you come before him in true worship with all the pretenses and barriers removed, when you come in worship in spirit and truth, that's when you hear the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.18 as he says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are, watch this, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's when the chains are broken. That's when the enemy is put to flight. That's when no weapon formed against you can prosper. That's when the glory of the Lord is reflected. It happens when your worship is in truth, unhidden, unconcealed, fully open, focused away from the lies of the enemy and onto the glory of the Lord. When the Lord is the focus of your worship, when you're open before him, that's when you are released from hell's hold on your life. That's when your life is transformed into his glorious image back into the original design specifications of the manufacturer see let me wind this down because my time is up had Adam and Eve remained in hiding believing the lie of the tempter and worshiping at the shrine of their self-will they would have never received the redemption of the blood of the slain animal that was used as a divine covering. And I want to tell you, if you continue to hide behind your excuses, you'll never be helped. If you continue to hide behind your justifications, you'll never be delivered. 
if you continue to hide behind your shame, you'll never be healed. If you continue to hide behind your veil, whatever that veil may be, you'll never be whole. Talking to some people today, and you may not have called it worship, but that's what it is. You've really been faking it. You followed after your way rather than God's way. The invitation of the Lord is to worship only Him with unveiled face. So come out of hiding. Admit your need. Surrender your life to Jesus. Follow God's plan rather than your own. If you need things to turn around, I'm giving you the key today. Focus your worship on the Lord. If you need a way out, focus your worship on the Lord. If something's broken in your life and needs to be made whole, focus your worship on the Lord. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. And watch Him transform you to the image in which you were originally created. Cast off that, that old identity that is not in keeping with God's identity for your life. And embrace the God image that he's given you. And watch him restore you to the original design specifications of the manufacturer. Stan, I, 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 I got to quit. Y'all okay with this? Is that, is that all right? I'm trying to help somebody today. I, I, I had a, a whole different direction I was planning to go. A complete different, and I just felt like the Lord just brought me back to this, this series about the transforming power of your worship. So I'm going to be preaching about this for the next three or four weeks from now. Not sure exactly. It's either four or five weeks that I've got laid out. I've forgotten which now. Pastor Larry, I want you to take me to the key of C, please. There's an old hymn of the church that I want us to sing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not, I'm not going to pray over you. You don't need me to pray over you. You just need to make a choice what you're going to do. How's that? There's an old hymn we used to sing as an invitation hymn. But it has such a wonderful sense of commitment. It talks about this unhiding. You'll know it. Where we used to sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come Sing that one more time. Just as 
I am same verse without one tree but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou didst me come to verse I want us to sing. It's the verse, Pastor Jay, if you can find it up there so they can have it, talks about just as I am, there it is, you got it, you're ahead of me. I like it. Would you sing that one and make that your confident prayer? Just as I am, thou I believe that will welcome heart and cleanse really because thy promise I believe O Lamb of God really how easy it is to come to him and embrace the divine identity rather than the world's identity or the deceiver's identity embrace the divine identity and it'll transform your life praise God